0: Hello and welcome to In the Book with hosts Luke Broom and Austin Freeman, where we study the Bible verse by verse, informing you on what the Bible says and what it means by what it says with bold declaration of the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture. We hope you enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone another episode of In the Book. My name is
1: Luke Broom. And I am Austin Freeman. Let's do this. It's been a long time coming, these two and a half weeks. Yes, it has. We are pumped to be back
0: behind the microphone, bringing you another episode. This is episode six. Uh, We're looking forward to when we get into the double digits here. Got a few more. It's big time. I know. We're essentially experts at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I missed doing the podcast last week, and I yeah. uh, it honestly kind of set me back into a, a sense of laziness. Yeah. Like taking that week off. Yeah, I, I can agree. I, I did not like it taking the week off, but Austin, and I've been uh, traveling some here and there, and also just doing some extra prep work for this week's episode. We've yeah. got we've got a big one this week, uh, covering some important verses and covering some. Uh, important topics in our world today uh but at at the outset here we did want to acknowledge just that this past week has been one of the craziest weeks uh in twenty twenty so far, which is hard to say given how crazy twenty twenty has been in general mm-hmm. uh but this past week was obviously the election uh should have been the election but it is still ongoing yep. <laughs> and continually continuing to ongoing until we're uh, we're sitting here. We just wanted to acknowledge on this platform uh, for both Austin and I that we uh, are holding strong to the sovereignty of God in this situation. We uh, by no means put our trust or our hope in any ruler or any king outside of the Lord Jesus Christ
1: absolutely so knowing that like it gives me satisfaction and you know God is going to be ever present with that individual
0: yeah absolutely so we we say that and also at the same time we acknowledge that we uh, we care about politics and the reason we care about politics is because we care about policy because what does policy do it policy impacts people and we care about people (laughs)
1: And That's so, why we're here. That's literally why we're here. It, and so this we, thing can transform you into what God wants you to be transformed into.
0: Yeah. Hopefully we can be an outlet for that. The image of his son. Yeah. Exactly right. So wanted to say that at the outset, just acknowledge that here on this platform, but we're going to hop right in because we got a lot of content. I mean, we've got probably a combined between Austin and I, like a solid 30 hours of,
1: Work. Yeah, I think you we have probably over ten pages of notes.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. We we got a <laughs> lot of a lot of material here. So we're gonna we're gonna filter through it and get to it, but uh I'm gonna read the text for us and then we'll uh we'll hop right in. So we're in first John chapter two. Uh we're picking up in verse fifteen. This is from the English Standard Version. John says Amen. amen that was the reading of God's Word so we got verse 15 we're kick it off here this is uh, the title of the podcast this week and this is probably one of the most uh, famous New Testament quotes do not love the world or yeah. the things in the world okay and so we're gonna do like we always do on this podcast and give some biblical definitions so we can understand what exactly John is saying here so uh, bear with me here we'll uh, do our weekly uh, Greek vocabulary there we go. Um, but look in the first word I want us to look at is the word love uh, this is the Greek verb agapeo not agape agapeo a-g-a-p-a-o and it, it's used here it, the, that word me has a couple different meanings when it's used here it denotes to take pleasure in the thing prize it above other things, be unwilling to abandon it or do without it. So if you read it again, it would read, do not prize this above other things, the world. Do not uh, be unwilling to abandon it or do without it, the world. So that's what John's trying to communicate here. Contrast that in the latter aspect of that verse, the love of the Father, this is the Greek verb, Agape, Yeah. Which a lot of Christians are very familiar with. It's A-G-A-P-E. agape. My buddy has
1: it tattooed on his back.
0: <laughs> Shout out Stephen Wood. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so agape. And this is a love that is typically given um, or that is attributed to God's love for us or his affection for us. Yeah. So uh, notice that there's a contrast in those words. Next, we have the word uh, World which a couple weeks back I talked about this word and it's the Greek noun kosmos, which is where we get our English word cosmos. Yeah, And it had a different meaning a couple weeks ago because the word is used to, to mean several different things. And so you have to look at what specific Greek inflection of the word is used. Well, in this text, this word is used here to refer to worldly affairs the aggregate of things earthly the whole circle of earthly goods endowments riches advantages pleasures etc which although hollow and frail and fleeting stir desire seduce from god and are obstacles to the cause of christ that's a very different definition Mm -hmm. from what we read the other day for sure uh so Pay attention to that word because that's what John is saying here. When he says, do not love the world or the things in the world, this is the definition he's using. Worldly affairs. These things that stir, desire, and seduce from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. And then lastly, by way of definition introduction to this verse I want to give this definition of worldliness that I thought was absolutely perfect to kind of kick off and set up our time here as we're working through this passage. And this is a definition given by uh, Jerry Bridges from his book, Respectable Sins, Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. Jerry Bridges says this, quote, The sin of worldliness is a preoccupation with the things of this temporal life. It's accepting and going along with the views and practices of society around us without discerning if they are biblical. I believe that the key to our tendencies toward worldliness lies primarily in the two words going along. We simply go along with the values and practices of society." It's good. What you got, Austin?
1: Man, I, so whenever I was reading this, I was trying to think of like the world and people can describe the world in many different ways. And I was like, what is God, you know, look like what part of the world is he referring to in this moment? And so in my opinion, it's not the physical globe. It's not the global world, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's not the mass of humanity, you know, like mm-hmm. that God loves that we hear in John three sixteen. But it's this sinful community of, uh, you know, people that are against God, that are, Mm -hmm. you know, constantly, you know, shaming God and whatnot. It's that who we are, you know, talking about, that these people are in rebellion against God. Mm -hmm. That's what he's referring to in this. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So
0: now that we've got this set up, We've got these definitions here of this first verse. Um, I, I want us to see one important aspect of the first like uh, phrase of this verse. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is a command. Yeah. It's not a suggestion. And it's not something you should just think about in your spare time. This is a very direct and clear command from the Apostle John. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Okay, this is not This is not something that you can say, ah, oh, it's okay. Like, I, I think that I can get away with, you know, uh, being a Christian and loving the world. John very clearly here says, do not love it. Okay, and we're going to talk through... Uh, the reasons why he says this. He gives us give or take three reasons in these three verses of why we should not love the world or the things in the world. We get our first reason uh, directly after this first phrase. And he says uh, the first reason we shouldn't love the world is that the love of the Father is not in him. That is to say that This person uh, proves his state as unregenerate because he loves the world indeed more than God. Or the other aspect of this, since we know that John is writing to believers, we could say that the Christian is distancing himself from God by chasing after the world. And in a, a more temporal sense, the love of the Father is not in him because of his disobedience and rebellion. Yeah. So two aspects of that, right, that uh, the love of the Father is not in him. This is our first reason not to love the world. We can look at it as, from an unbeliever standpoint, like this proves that the person is not regenerated because they're loving the world more than they're loving God. That's where their heart is. That's where their treasure is. We can also look at this. I, I know that I can speak for myself of times when uh, the world seems to take Take your heart captive, and and it looks pretty, and it looks enticing, and for a split second, or even for a season, you you believe the lie that it's going to be worth it to chase after the world instead of pursue Christ. Absolutely. And and so, in this instance, uh, you could say that the love of the Father is is not in him in like a temporal sense that. The Christian is actively disobeying God and therefore distancing himself from God. Okay, because we know that God cannot be in the presence of sin. Right.
1: Well, I mean, love of the world and love of the Father, they're not compatible. So (laughs) let's take it from the the Christian's point of view. If you were to say that you love God, love the Father, Mm -hmm. but you also love the world, there's something wrong with your love of God. Yeah. Clearly you're missing some big important thing
0: yeah yeah that's a good point. like there, like there's a capacity uh, to which you haven't reached of understanding fully the love of God yeah, or like there's,
1: there's something there that you have not either understood or you're, willi- you're more willing to take on like rather than just having you know God you know be that. so whether that's money stuff, whether that's you know your pride, whether that's fill in the blank, fill yeah. in the blank, yeah there, I mean it's endless yeah that, that's a good point
0: so uh, we have to ask ourselves this question because it seems as though John is making this a big deal right like, and so the question would be why? why why is John making a big deal of this and it's exactly what Austin just said you cannot love the world and God simultaneously it yeah. is impossible Okay, the, the end of the next verse, in verse 16, John tells us that these, these things can't coincide together. We'll get there in a second. But Jesus himself instructs us on this in several passages. Uh, one of them is in his Sermon on the Mount. He tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and mm-hmm. love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew 6, 24. Mm-hmm. James gives us some insight into this. He tells us in his letter, quote, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then Paul tells us in Romans 12, Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's some like complete opposite terminology, right? Mm-hmm. In this verses. Yeah. It's, it's not like when Jesus says no one can serve two masters. He means what he says he's that's not a metaphor mm-hmm. he's he's uh blatantly stating you cannot serve two gods at one time like either either money will be your god or god will be your god either sexual sin will be your god or god will and you can fill in the blank for that and so um, th- this this is a big deal uh because of the the relationship that it takes us in or out of, and in, in relation to God, that's why this is a big deal. Any any thoughts on on that aspect of it? I'll no,
1: speak. I mean I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, there have been so many times in the centuries past of Christianity where Christians were being pulled away from God and into the world, and I mean even like those Christians in centuries past that were told to go live in monasteries and like nunneries or whatever, like, because they were supposed to be away from the world. And if they truly love God, they would go into these desolate places. But there's mm-hmm. problems with that too. Because yeah. what what does it say in John, is it John 17, where it, his prayer is to like, you're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. Yeah. Is that John 17? I think. It um, could be. I don't want to quote me on that. But his pray for us is to be in the world and not of the world. So there's problems on both sides of it whenever you try to, you know, communicate yourself from the world because what are you doing in that moment? You're not fulfilling the, the, the commission that we yeah. have to set forth with. for us. And then on the other side of that, if you're constantly in the world and that's your fallback and that's – it's going to fail you every time. Like yeah. there's, it's not going to satiate you like the, what God can give you. God is enough. Through this. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: And so we, we can answer the question, um, can, can I be a Christian and love the world? Well, the answer is yes and no. Uh, no, you cannot be a Christian and uh, actively, unrepentantly love the world and chase after the things of this world it's very clear after this first verse that, that the love of the father is not in the person that is actively in and uh, unrepentantly pursuing the world they have they have no desire for god yeah. they probably find themselves like many uh, quote-unquote christians in america today that wear christianity like a t-shirt uh, don't have uh, they don't have any real like possession of the faith. They just profess the faith, and um, the the world comes along and it, and it chokes them, and and it and it, it takes this uh, perceived love of God completely away. And there's yeah. no desire for God, none, um, because they're so wrapped up in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, which is what we're about to get to. So. Uh, but the, the other half of that is what Austin just said. Um, Christians are to, to love a different definition of the world. Yeah, it's and that, that is the people of the, the world. The people part of right? the world.
1: Because <laughs> so, uh, God does that. And we're made in his image. And that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right. Like I, I just listened to like, this past week at church. I uh, had a uh, preacher, uh, Paul Twist, out of uh, California came in to to preach for our church here in Dallas, and his whole, his entire sermon was about the call to love one another out of john fifteen uh, and you know that's that's one of the primary roles of us as Christians and that's something that John here teases out throughout this whole book. we covered it uh last week or the, you know the week before in one of our previous Sections about the importance of loving one another, of how that was our last episode about the new commandment, right? And so, there's two sides of the coin that needs to be understood. Mm -hmm. But we digress. So, a question here as we conclude verse 15: that you should ask yourself as you're reading into the next verse, verse 16. If we're not to love the world or the things in the world, what are the things? in the world that we should not love? That should be your question that you should be asking. Well, uh, thankfully, John gives us somewhat of an answer. He gives us kind of a vague answer, but he gives us an answer. He says, for all that is in the world. So he's expounding off of verse 15. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we got two main categories that John gives us for the things in the world. You have lusts or desires and possessions, which I know uh, my translation reads the pride of life. I'll explain to you why that actually means possessions in a second based off the Greek. But anyway, the two main categories are lusts and possessions. And then we get another reason at the end of this verse not to love the world. So these things... In general, both categories, they are not holy, and they are not righteous, like God is. Okay, and so this is a reason why we should not love them. Uh, But let me me give some definitions here, that way we can better understand what John is saying. The first one is the word desire. That's used two times in this verse. What what does the word desire mean? It's the Greek noun epithmia. That's E P I T H, not W, Y M I A, epithmia. And it means a craving or a lust or to desire something that's forbidden. And then we get the word flesh. This is the Greek noun sarx, S A R X. And it refers to, it's, it's like a craving that incites you to sin. Okay. So it's almost a redundancy. And he says the desires of the flesh, he says, it's a craving that is a craving that incites you to sin. And then uh, and you want to think more uh, on a physical means with this, the desires of the flesh. But then we get to the next one, the desires of the eyes. So same word desires. The word eyes is the Greek noun ophthalmos which Austin and I are very familiar Whoa. with in chiropractic school. But uh, but the word ophthalmos, it, it refers to the physical eye, like being able to see things. But it's, it's used metaphorically here, and it refers to uh, the mind. Yeah, how, how, more sense. Yeah, how the sight uh, informs the mind. And it's a sight that incites to sin, so yeah. that the last one I looked at, we talked about flesh. That was a cravings that incite to sin, like physical cravings that incite to sin. And then we get desires of the eyes, which is a sight that ref- that is connected to the mind that incites to sin. And then we got our last thing, the pride of life. The word pride is the Greek noun alazonia, A-L-A-Z-O-N-E-I-A. And it refers to a uh, an impious and empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things okay it's a trust in the stability of earthly things it also is a display in one's style of living yeah
1: I mean I I, I, this convicted me I, (laughs) I I have like written down the first thing I have pride of life and just my idea like it's not that I want to but I just I portray this image of wanting to be sounds disgusting but superior to others maybe in like a like a manly sense you know like i want to seem macho um i've suffered with this for a while um and it's from no nothing like brought on by it i think it's just we live in a competitive society
0: yeah that's i think
1: that's a uh like that's a what's
0: the word i'm looking for a theme per se that the world preaches to men yeah well I would say in the last like probably 40-50 years that was something I think it's changing a little bit today with kind of the whole uh transgenderism movement uh that's changed a little bit that men aren't really uh the world doesn't really preach to men to be macho anymore uh it's more of be whatever you want to be but uh but I think that that's a like that's kind of a lasting uh worldly thing that the world says like hey if you're a man you need to portray yourself as this big tough guy can't cry yeah can't cry superior
1: to everyone else stone cold killer yeah you gotta go shoot and kill your own animals and harvest them and yeah okay back to this i have something really interesting what you got think about the first pursuit of worldliness in the bible where do you think it is genesis yeah genesis three the fall right yeah Um, Eve was lusting through her flesh because she saw the forbidden fruit and thought about how good it would taste and how it would satisfy her flesh and then she also next I mean it's in perfect alignment with Mm -hmm. what he was talking about lusting with her eyes you know the when she saw the forbidden fruit she saw that it was pleasant to her eyes Mm -hmm. and she saw how pretty and desirable it was and uh lastly, um, when she took the forbidden fruit when she uh believed that it would be desirable to make one wise, like she wanted to be wise. She yeah. wanted to know you know, have all of that knowledge. She wanted to possess that. Yeah. Yeah. And be superior. Yes. Um so it literally falls in line, I mean, beautifully with what Paul is saying here. John. Or John. Paul. <laughs> John. John Paul. John Paul. Yeah. Uh, uh, john is saying here correct yeah yeah that's uh that's a
0: beautiful connection there i honestly i forgot i think i heard that a couple years ago from a pastor Mm kind of working through this text and i was like how have i never made this connection before
1: yeah no it wasn't until i did some like studying into studying into it yeah and was, was really diving into the words of it so yeah
0: if you didn't catch that listener rewind like a minute or two minutes and listen back to what austin just said because uh it honestly is something that's really cool that connects the old testament into the new testament yeah and it 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 just it makes a beautiful connection there so that was awesome um okay i realized i did a lot of greek there a minute ago i apologize but that is, it's important to understand kind of the, def, the biblical definitions here of what John is trying to communicate to us. And so um, we get this reason now that we're at the end of this verse, uh, this reason not to love the world or the things in the world. And that is, they are, quote, not from the Father. That is to say, they, they do not align with his perfect and holy character. When it says there is not from the Father, that's what John is saying. Like These things are not from the Father in the sense that they're not aligning with his character. And so, therefore, if we're aiming to be made more in the image of Christ as Christians, then we should not be desiring these things because they don't align with the character of God. And that's the same character that we are being transformed into right and so
1: it's I just sorry to cut you off but doing this research it convicted me again me thinking (laughs) like man how much of my life am I constantly thinking in a worldly view yeah um you know whenever I think of like my standard of success it's purely worldly at times yeah whenever I think of what is attractive in a you know a person from the opposite sex Mm -hmm. at times it's purely worldly yeah um and it's, it's disgusting. Um, what is my standard for spitu- spirituality? Is it, you know, worldly or godly? I would hope and pray that it's godly the majority of the time. But, you know, there'll be times back in my past whenever I was working as a uh, assistant, uh, like youth intern or pastor, whatever you call it there would be times where I wanted to be in front of the, and talking to people on the pool. I wanted to be seen, yeah. you know, and that yeah. was my spirituality at that time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be heard. And that's just so selfish. Yeah. Uh, I've been there
0: as well. I appreciate that honesty and vulnerability there. I'm, I'm sure our, our listeners can relate to that. Um, and we understand that for us as Christians, uh, it's a reality that indwelling sin in our lives are It um, is real and uh, our, our own flesh and the enemy of God at every step is aiming to pull us away from Christ. It's not trying to push us towards Christ. And so, uh, but thankfully we have the spirit of God in us and we get to fight that. So moving on here. I've got this cool quote that I pulled from uh, John Piper to kind of summarize this, uh, this verse here. So this is from John Piper. He gave this in a sermon on March the 10th, 1985. He says, quote, Anything in this world that is not God can rob your heart of the love of God. Anything that is not God can draw your heart away from God. If you don't have it, it can fill you with a passion to get it. If you get it, it can fill you with the pride that you've got it. End quote. Dang. Okay, so think about how that summarizes what we just read in verse 16. Desires of the flesh, desire of the eyes, pride of life, or I forgot to say that life is the Greek noun bios, and it, the word refers to the things that sustain your life. That was so, probably so, my fault. I can not No, off. you're good. So like resources or like goods. So that's why this can be translated as to the pride of possessions, the things yeah. that you possess. And so Piper says, anything that is not God can draw your heart away from God. If you don't have it, it can fill you with a passion to get it, the desires. If you get it, it can fill you with pride and that you've got it that's the pride of possessions so I thought that that was just a beautiful kind of summary statement of that verse from Piper um any thoughts on that before I enter into this uh lengthy discourse here that I've
1: got planned (laughs) um are we going to talk about the kind of the current status of the christian church in today's world yes we we're are. gonna hit that okay yeah
0: we're gonna we're gonna cover that at the end that but that is on the docket i have a lot to talk that. about okay austin, <laughs> austin said he's got like an hour's worth on that yeah but we won't, okay we won't
1: put you through that we won't subject you to it
0: all right i've got this question here that i want to think of and at this point i want i need to preface by saying i want you to bear with me listener because this is going to be some dense material that i'm about to go into uh, so if, you're, if you happen to be listening to this in a place that uh, if you're not in a moving vehicle, you're not outside, and you might need to take notes on this point, uh, I would do that. Uh, if you're listening, then uh, I pray you keep up. <laughs> so the question here that I want to answer is what worldly desires ideologies, and worldviews exist today that Christians should be aware of, be sober-minded towards, and proclaim God's truth in? That's the question I'm about to embark on. Now, firstly, I have, this is an excerpt. It's from an article titled, The Church's Dumbing Down. This is by Shane Limbs. And he uh, wrote this article he was pulling from this book by Oz Guinness. Uh, and the whole article is based on this book. But Oz Guinness's book is titled, Fit Bodies, Fat Minds, Why Evangelicals Don't Think and What to Do About It. Mm. Interesting uh, title of the book there. Mm-hmm. I like that. But this is what uh, Shane Limbs says, uh, quoting from this book. Quote, the second half of the book called an idiot culture discusses the cultural factors that also led to the dumbing down of modern evangelicalism number one amusement which is the modern love of or lust for entertainment number two consumption the lifestyle Mm -hmm. which abides by the gospel of advertisements number three is image the infatuation with trends, looks, weight, sex, skin, etc. Number four is visual, the ability to watch a three hour movie coupled with the inability to read a serious 300 page book. Number five is postmodernity, which is the loss of overarching truth, meaning, and morality. Number six is media the twisting or ignoring of truth for the sake of entertainment and cash. Number seven is genera- generationalism, which is the separating of generations with labels and stereotypes. And number eight... Boomer. ...is cyber-gnosticism, which is the blending of the virtual and what is real. End quote. Interesting. So that was eight things that uh, Oz Guinness says are cultural factors that are leading to the dumbing down of modern evangelicalism. Now uh, you could probably tell and pick out each of these eight things is a worldly thing Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go through and break them down um, all of those but hopefully you picked up on some of those and see how these are things that are attacking uh, Christians in like subtle and deceitful ways trying to pull them away from God yeah. I mean, like, the first one, Amusement. I was like, I read that one, and I was like, man, that's me. Mm. The, the lust for entertainment. Like, how much, even with churches, how much do Christians simply go to church seeking it to entertain them?
1: No, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I Absolutely.
0: Mean, it's honestly pathetic. It's a You know, what what a disgrace and a dumbing down yeah. of what God intended his church to be.
1: That um, we should seek. I mean, seek- it, it points me to, like, the churches in... You know, areas of Vietnam or, you know, these places that are constantly under attack for being Christians and they have to go and hide.
0: Yeah, underground. Underground
1: and churches. And they are probably the most. I mean, they're just willing to abandon everything for the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake, you know. They're willing to die. I mean, and that's what the majority of what I have written down here is we as Christians in the USA. You know the the beautiful u s a we are settling for a Christianity that is catering to ourselves mm-hmm. yep, rather than what this like rather than the central message of what Christianity is, which is to abandon ourselves,
0: yeah, amen to that
1: I mean to call yourself I say this all the time, Luke has heard me say this to call yourself a Christian is one of the most self deprecating things you can say it what you're saying when you call yourself a Christian is that you aren't enough and that we have to rely on God. Yeah. And we don't have that as our central message here in America. Yeah. In our Christian churches.
0: You, you could preach that, brother. <laughs> you, that, that'll, that'll preach right there. That'll preach on Sunday for sure. <laughs> um, that is so true. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll read through the list one more time, not the definitions, but just so you could hear it one more time. It was amusement, consumption, Image, visual, postmodernity, media, generationalism, cybernosticism. I'd encourage you to write those down. Go do some research into those. Uh, you know, you can look up this article um, that co- titled "The Church Is Dumbing Down" by Shane Limbs and kind of read about it. Uh, this is an interesting stuff, and it's something as I said at the outset. I'm trying to answer the question: What are things that Christians need to be aware of and be sober-minded towards? and proclaim God's truth in. You can take each of those eight things I just read and ask yourself the question, in what ways do I need to proclaim the truth of God in this to to a dying world around me? Because everyone around us that is not a Christian believes these things. They're pursuing these things. Yep. They're seeking these things out. I mean, shoot, the other one of this that cracks me up when I read it was the visual one which yeah. the definition is the ability to watch a three-hour movie I mean coupled, it's so true coupled with the inability to read a serious 300-page book like 3 man. pages that's a lot of pages <laughs> yeah. like man we need to pick up a book and read people we do okay off the tangent okay some, some other things here some other uh, ideologies and worldviews I, I have a list here uh, a fairly uh Long list. This is not an exhaustive list, but I tried to be as comprehensive as I could to, to give you listeners uh, a good idea of some things that are um, that are influencing our society today and are informing us on how we should think and how we should know what is true. The first one is pragmatism, and uh, pra- a good definition of pragmatism for the Christian is. It's the theory where does it work is more important than is it biblical? Okay, think about that. Pragmatism says, uh, does it work? If the answer is yes, then you keep doing it. It's pragmatic. It's practical. It's working. So you keep doing it. If it doesn't work, then stop doing it. It, it, uh, That's not true anymore. Your basis of truth is based on whether something works or not. This is fundamentally... That would,
1: like, destroy... (laughs) Like, half the time, like, if you were to, like, pray a certain prayer, and, like, if you were pragmatic, you would... Like, why would you even pray anymore?
0: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, like, you can see how fundamentally destructive this is for the Christian if we embrace this pragmatic uh, lifestyle, which I've got some other good quotes at the end of this about pragmatism and how it's influencing the church. So I'll save kind of my... uh, my content for that but the next one I have on the list is relativism this is the doctrine that knowledge truth and morality exist in relation to culture society or historical context and are not absolute truths knowledge morality they are not absolute everything is relative it, it changes it can be what you want it to be. Uh, this is a highly uh, influential-ism, uh, per se, that is, is influencing our world like right now in 2020. When you think about uh, transgenderism and other things associated uh, like that, that says, uh, I, I can be who I want to be you can't, you can't present this objective standard that says what we should and sh- or shouldn't do, okay? Because truth is not absolute with relativism. It's all relative. That's the name of the game. So, the next one I have is indifferentism. Indifferentism. This is the belief that differences of religious belief are of no importance, So the Muslim...
1: We all believe the same thing. The
0: Hindu and the Christian, it's all the same thing. Indifferentism is the differences of of religious belief are of no importance. Okay? The the problem with this is that this ultimately leads to ecclesiastical ecumenicism. I realize that's a big word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to spell that for you. You can look it up. But ecclesiastical ecumenicism ecclesiology is the study of the church so this refers to the church and then ecumenicism is the uh, is about unity the word is surrounded with unity so you think church unity but that's not really what it means Uh, what it means is religious unity is the aim of the gospel not (laughs) the salvation of sinners okay so this, this is fundamentally problematic because now you have uh, Christians in the world, and this is real, like there is a website set up for this, this is what is um, running rampant in the progressive Christianity movement in America right now. This is part of their kind of main agenda in progressive Christianity is ecclesiastical ecumenicism. Okay, the, the Muslim and the Hindu uh, and the Christian, like we... We don't acknowledge the differences, the fundamental theological differences in our belief systems. And we just uh, cast all that away for the sake of religious unity. Then they say, this is the aim of the gospel. This is what the gospel came to do, to make all of us from different religious beliefs.
1: But those other one major belief
0: systems don't even believe in the gospel. Exactly. It, How does that even make sense? It doesn't make sense. Okay, but you know what? It makes sense if you don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And you're not biblically sound. So uh, you can see, hopefully, listener, how problematic that is. But it's out there. Uh, the next one I have is sentimentalism. This is... Uh, the, the basic idea of this is that morality is rooted in emotion, in its most uncompromising form, it says that moral metaphysics, moral thought, and moral epistemology are all somehow emotion-based. So this ism is all about your emotions. Your emotions drive everything. The, the way you think, how epistemology is how we know what we know, how we know it is, is true. So the your fundamental, knowledge of what is
1: true is based off your emotions. There's no consistency in that. Emotions no. are so fleeting.
0: That's exactly right. So, uh, there's obviously a big hole in that. Uh, and, like, I think, I, the, the verse that comes to my mind is out of Jeremiah, uh, where the prophet says that our heart is deceitfully wicked yeah. and evil above all things. <laughs> like, our heart is, deceives us all day every day yep like why would i believe my emotional heart and have that guide my life guide my morality guide the way guide what i know to be true
1: that is a dangerous assumption yeah a deadly assumption to believe that our greatest asset is our own ability
0: Mm. that's good
1: i mean truly like that's deadly yeah
0: that is absolutely deadly. if you were to
1: maintain that then See you, buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah. The next one I got here is individualism. This is uh, a doctrine that the interests of the individual are or ought to be ethically paramount. This is the conception that all values, rights, and duties originate in individuals, uh, which they're there's there's some good to this. Like There's some things that you can take out of this and, and apply it biblically if you uh, filter it through a biblical worldview. Yeah. Uh, but the flip side of this is that this ties into uh, pietism or pietism. Yeah, pietism. Uh, yeah, pietism. And it's the emphasis on subjective experiential individualism at the expense of corporate and covenantal faith. Okay, so it's all about the individual su- subjective experience. Okay, and so you can see how this is problematic because it takes away from the ad- objective truth of God's word. And so um, your individualists uh, in the world, specifically highlighting America, it, it says like, Austin, you as the individual, you get to decide for yourself as an individual what you think is paramount. What you think is, uh, you know, your your values and your rights—they originate within you and what you decide them to be and what you subjectively decide. Okay, so hopefully, listener, that example cleared it up as as far as the problem with this. No. Jeez. Um, uh, the next one I've got is consumerism which is simply a desire for more stuff. That's a very uh, simple definition, but it mm-hmm. honestly kind of summarizes it. It's a desire for more stuff. And this is especially true in America,
1: where oh, yeah.
0: like like everyone just wants more stuff. Like oh, I, yeah. for me, for example- Materialistic. Yes, material. I, I am an avid disc golfer. Uh, every time I look at my disc golf bag, I'm just like, man, I, I, just, I need more discs. Yep. You know, even though I've got plenty of discs.
1: That's how I am with fishing gear. You, you know, can never have enough fishing Austin gear, Austin right? wants
0: more fishing poles. He's got to have more. <laughs> I've got,
1: he's got six he's, right now. Yeah,
0: he's got four in my garage. <laughs> he doesn't use them, but he needs more of them. Okay, and, and you can apply this in tons of different ways. Even to the point where people ruin their life over this, right? Like, they just, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. All based off image. That's yeah. what it is. The next one is Empiricism. This is a really big one. Uh, This is one that has really influenced the way uh, science works and uh, the the way we know what we know to be true, epistemology. So empiricism is a view that all concepts originate in experience. That all concepts are about or applicable to things that can be experienced or that all rationally acceptable beliefs or propositions Are justifiable or knowable only through experience so the key word there was experience Experience. right or uh, it's often defined as the five senses it's like it's about what you can physically experience uh, through your senses what you can gather through that and so all your your morality your knowledge you know the way you the what you know to be true is about your experience so if it's true for you then that is true. That's what empiricism says. If that's your experience, you can see how kind of individualism Mm -hmm. tied in with empiricism, tied in with some relativism. You tie them all together and this is the statement you get. Jesus is real, but he doesn't have to be the same for me as he is for you. Oh man. That's, that's, That's the statement that you get, right? If you tie all these together, that's what you get. And that's not the reality of the gospel. No. Jesus tells us who he is, clearly in his word. Mm-hmm. If we are to know who he is, we pick up the book and we read it. And we find out who he is through that. And through the spirit of God enlightening our hearts and our minds. Okay? You, you, no one gets to say the statement that he, uh, he doesn't have to be the same for me as he is for you. Okay, Jesus is not your magic genie you can't in a bottle. Put him in a bo- yeah, yeah, you can't you put you him in to- a
1: box and just be like, yeah, you don't get to form this is him. My-
0: yeah, wow. Yeah, we are the clay and he is the potter, not yeah. the other way around.
1: And that's just to fit someone's needs or wants in that point in time. Like, that's just ugh, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it either. Uh, the next one. This is also
0: another really big one. And you'll understand why after I read the definition. But it is humanism, and this is an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters.
1: Living definition of living in the flesh, right
0: there. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, the humanist beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings emphasize common human needs and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. So the the humanist is completely void of anything spiritual, supernatural, divine. So uh, obviously I don't have to state why this is problematic for the Christian because our entire life is supernatural. Mm -hmm. Like you would not be a Christian if something supernatural had not taken place. Namely, that the Spirit of God supernaturally transformed your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. So uh, this completely destroys that. But uh, these next few that I have as I'm kind of wrapping up this section, I apologize. I realize this is a lot of material. Hopefully you're tracking with me uh, and this is informative. These next few are are more uh, practical things that we can clearly see in 2020 as kind of worldviews that are changing uh, the way people think about things. Uh, And so the first one is transgenderism. And this is uh, a desire to match your sexual identity with how you feel and your subjective experience. And so if I, as a biological male, said that I feel like I am a woman... My, my subjective experience tells me that I am a woman. It's justified that I can therefore match my identity to that. I get to change my identity and match it to how I feel. So I can go so then I can go through the process of uh, you know, trying to change biologically me from a male to a female, go through the hormone treatments, the surgeries, et cetera, clothes, everything. Okay, this, this is the, uh, the reality of transgenderism. This is what it's doing. And it, like, I can't even begin to emphasize the implications this has, especially on the youth. Like, like think about just the, the 8, 10, 12-year-olds growing up in a society that has no firm foundation on your identity. Like there's there's nothing objective about your identity, like and so you're growing up and the only thing you hear is you can make it whatever you want to be you can just be whatever you want to be, and like there's no guidance and you get, you know I I think that sadly this is something that is contributing to suicide rates and is contributing to uh, self harm and. contributing to to kids just not not knowing what to do with their life yeah there's there's no direction there's no truth and this is troubling and deeply saddening um and you know there's uh there's a particular political party I'm not gonna name it the democratic party but (laughs) that has pretty openly uh claimed that you know 8-year-old boys you know, they they should have the right to be able to say to their parents I feel like a female and so I can go through the surgeries and the hormone replacements and everything as an 8-year-old to become who I feel like I am that's a, that's a that's a problem yeah
1: just proves you know this world needs a lot of prayer and that we're broken we live in a broken world
0: yeah it, it definitely calls us as christians to be armed and ready with the gospel of jesus christ Yeah, because that's the only thing that's going to change this right mm-hmm. the only thing uh, the next thing i have is the lgbtq movement uh, obviously there's some other letters on there but there's those are the main five uh, this is a desire to decide your personal uh, sexual identity and sexual preference based on how you feel and your subjective experience. It's almost the exact same definition as the last one no. because both of these things they tie in to most of the uh, isms that I lifted uh, listed before these.
1: Isn't the T in LGBTQ
0: transgenderism? Yeah, it yeah, is. yeah. It is. Yep. Um and so uh you're you know if I'm a heterosexual male uh tomorrow I get to de- under this banner of how they decide what is true, I get to decide if I want to all of a sudden that day be bisexual or not yeah. I get to decide that you know tomorrow you know as a as a heterosexual male, tomorrow I can be. A homosexual female if i wanted to yeah there, there's there's no boundaries on identity this completely destroys any identity we have and what's the problem with this we have an identity yeah. and that is the, <laughs> the imago day. we are created in the image of god that is a big deal yeah it is a big deal that we are made in the image of god and transgenderism, the LGBTQ movement, it absolutely obliterates the reality that people are made in the image of God. This is the problem, the theological problem with it. The last one I have here is uh, a hot topic in 2020 with all the uh, racial disparity. And it is uh, critical theory or critical race theory. And intersectionality Uh, if you're not familiar with these terms uh, don't fret I was not familiar with these terms a few months ago and I can't tell you the countless hours of study and research I've done into these terms and still don't have a good definition on these terms okay that is how uh, broad and almost undefinable they are Uh, but uh, the essential desire for these th- for critical theory and intersectionality, a central desire is deconstruction, which is connected to postmodernism. Postmodernism is all about the breakdown of absolute truth and it's deconstructing society.. Yeah. Uh, it's also a desire for power. okay? Do not let anyone tell you differently. Critical theory and intersectionality is all about power, the movement of power. And it's based on identity politics, okay? Don't let someone tell you that different. That is fundamentally at the heart of these things. So I've got this definition here. This honestly, I mean this genuinely, this is one of the best definitions of intersectionality that I have come across in the last you know uh, five months or so of my research. Um, this is from an article from Founders Ministries. Um The article is about feminism, but it gave this definition because it's connected to it. And this is what it says. Quote, Intersectionality is the idea that we all exist under different layers of oppression based on what social identities we claim. So if you imagine that each of the identities you can claim experience a certain kind of oppression simply by their nature, where these identities overlap you experience an intersection of oppression that someone who doesn't share the same identities would not experience. The more identity groups you belong to, these false categories of identity are typically race, gender, uh, sexual orientation, so the more intersections and therefore oppression you experience. If you don't experience the same intersection as someone else, you are often treated as though you simply cannot understand that intersection because you haven't lived in that intersection. Quote, lived experiences, end quote, become an ultimate standard for understanding the world. This idea imbues those with more identity intersections as inherently more perceptive and intuitive than those who can claim less intersectional categories, ultimately, intersectionality is the religion of me, who I am, and why I'm more imbued with understanding than you. It's a study of the self born out of love for the self, and an insistence that yourself is really what matters. Disagreeing with someone's lived experience makes you anathema End quote so that was that was a, a lengthy quote. I realize uh, on the definition of intersectionality, but it's so vague and broad that I I had to kind of encompass a lot there to kind of explain it. But hopefully you picked up on kind of some key words there. Oppression, lived experiences, um, who I am, what I get to say I am. This, This is the language of critical theory and intersectionality. And this is what's going on in our country right now. Yeah, it is. This this is what is going on in our country with all of the racial equity talk and everything surrounding that. This is the language they use. And the sad thing, this is the language that is being adopted into churches, evangelical churches. This is some of the language that's being adopted in. Just this past year at the Southern Baptist Convention, the hot talk was Resolution 9. Which resolution nine stated that uh, the the church or the Southern Baptist Convention was going to adopt critical race theory and intersectionality as analysis tools to better understand the world. Okay, they 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 they, they uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They blanketed it as a an, an analyzing tool, mm. right? They're just going to use these things as a tool to understand not realizing the language and the, the godless worldview that they're adopting by taking these things in. Yep. And that's a problem. Um, so, so this is also ties into woke theology, the, the social justice movement, all of these things that are wrapped up together. But uh, regarding this whole thing uh, that's embraced critical theory and intersectionality, we need to remember these words from Allie Beth Stuckey in her podcast, Relatable. Uh, she did one with John L. Cooper, who is the uh, the lead singer for the Christian rock band Skillet. Uh, Heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's They did a podcast uh, titled Wokeism, and Allie Beth said this, quote, the commonality between the societally oppressed And the societally oppressors is that all are oppressed by sin. And that is what Jesus came to liberate us from. End quote. That language will not be used by critical race theorists and intersectionality. That is not the language that that will be used. And sadly, that's the language that evangelical churches are getting away from. And that's a problem. Okay. Sin is the issue of this world Jesus gives us the answer to that issue through his life his death, his resurrection, and his ascension
1: period it just proves like there's such a desperate need to revisit the words of Jesus Christ and just like have like this fervent want to you know restore the gospel into this world you know yeah because it's not being heard and it's not being seen clearly, like all these crazy isms that are being presented are i mean even just the America to, that we live in today is not biblical yeah i definitely. mean it's just
0: it's yeah it's gotten away from its roots, right yeah like the United States of America was founded uh by uh the leaders who were influenced by the Puritans. The Puritans came over from yep. Europe, uh, and they had a biblical worldview. And the leaders yeah. of this country were influenced greatly by this biblical worldview. Yeah, This is why you have things such as the, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, um, some of these early documents that have honestly led to the freedoms that we have today that you currently enjoy. You might not be enjoying them in the future, but you currently enjoy them. Uh, And the reason you have those freedoms is because America was founded on primarily on a Judeo Christian worldview. Yeah. Um, So
1: don't lose sight of that. But moving on. I think the thing about all those things you said was that humans, myself in particular, we get blind to it and we're unknowing to Mm. the things of our culture that are common in our culture but they're like so antithetical to the gospel of jesus yeah and i mean there'll be times where i'm like oh yeah that sounds like something that would be biblical but in reality it's just it for one person to gain and another one to lose whereas we're all supposed to be kind of lesser together you know and god is supposed to be he is supposed to be the one that's yeah you know greater a a lot of these
0: isms are dressed up to look really pretty and they're like uh language is used that makes you think it's good but then you start digging into the why behind it and some of the fundamental like desires and motivations of it and you realize that it's actually antithetical to the gospel and so that just goes to show all of us need to be doing our research yeah. Like you, if you're gonna believe something if you're gonna do something or make a decision on something I urge you understand why you're making that decision understand why you're doing what you're doing That's mm-hmm. so important um, and finally we're getting to verse 17 <laughs> we haven't even gotten there yet okay uh, I this three verses and we're spending this much time on it uh, and we are because it's important but verse 17 says and the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of god abides forever and so we get another reason here why we should not love the world it is all temporary (laughs) why would we spend our life trying to gain
1: the world when it's all going to pass away one day that's Literally putting something... <laughs> you're putting... You're investing into something that's just gonna... I guess just... It's not... Like, it cannot last. It cannot maintain. I mean, you hear the the stories all the time. I'm not... Whenever I die, I'm not taking it with me. I mean, that's so true. Like... Yeah. And yeah. the basis of our... Like, it's just makes me think, like, a lot of people's understanding is on what's the spiritual gifts that we'll be getting in heaven, you know? It's yeah. just... It's so... Oh, world-centered. I mean, I know yeah. I sound like I'm beating a dead, like a, a, a dead horse here, but yeah. like, it's so true. Like, yeah,
0: it's, people are enamored with the things of this world. Sin. That's what it is. So that's what it is. Uh, you know, Jesus gives us instruction on this uh, in the gospel. You know, the the writers of the gospels give us accounts. Uh, the first one I got for you here is from Matthew six. do not make this world or the things of this world your treasure. Nope. They, they're they going to be destroyed. You will not be able to take them with you. Do not put your treasure in them. Again, we get this other really cool passage in Mark uh, chapter 8, uh, where Jesus says uh, he calls to the crowd, um, to him with his disciples for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words and this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. It's a good word. Yeah. So th- those two passages right there from Jesus um, gives us important instruction on the temporality of this world and how we should not be putting our treasure in that how we should not be aiming to to gain our life in this world. It's it's temporal. Lose your life and you will save it. It is much better to live everlasting with Jesus, comforted in his arms, in the presence of your creator for the, the remainder of your days than to just stack up Treasures on this earth, only to lose them yeah. on the day that you die or when Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. So the the uh, quote unquote gospel that this completely destroys in America is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Let's go. Which it, honestly, it's really no gospel at all. It's no. not good news. No, it's not. but uh, this reality from. John, First John 2.17 completely blows the whole prosperity gospel away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Because the prosperity gospel
1: says Talking about getting things of this world. Yeah, getting things of the world to prosper. That's literally the goal of it. You get a car and you get a car but you have to pray hard enough. Yeah, make sure
0: your faith is stronger. Uh, listen to me say this, listener. You are not here to live your best life now. No. No gaining the world is not an ultimate eternal gain Paul says in Philippians 1 to live as Christ and to die is gain
1: mm, I love that
0: to live as Christ and to die is a gain Okay, the, the prosperity gospel Just, preachers cannot say to you to die is gain Yeah. because it's all about prospering in this life right. building up your treasure in this life God, God wants you to have that million dollar house. God wants you to have that brand new sparkling the hundreds of thousands of dollars car. Yeah. He, he doesn't want you to struggle. He doesn't want you to,
1: to suffer. He why even pray? Yeah. He, pray, he, like suffering is what brings about like fervent prayer. Yeah. We're, and I don't think God intends on us to have easy things in this life. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, because then, if that's the case, then why even need God? You know, like if yeah. ever, if we have everything, we're bettering ourselves constantly. Yes. If we it's are, everything around us is, you know, like, why even need? Yeah. At the heart of the
0: prosperity gospel, you're creating a situation to where you're working yourself out of a need for God. Yeah. Which is fundamentally problematic. Yeah. And is the complete opposite of the gospel. So. Right. Which says. That Abandon are, yourself. Yeah, that we are sinners, in desperate need of God. Yeah, there is no other way out of our sin except that God would save us. Yeah, that He would initiate everything. Ooh, my blood's raising. My boy, my blood pressure's getting high here. Um, I, you know i I pray that we would all be like the psalmist in Psalm seventy three. It says. Whom have I in heaven, but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Man, I mean, that's going, coming out of this episode. That definitely is, you know, one of my prayers for, that's awesome for myself, for Austin, for my family, for, for you as listeners, um, that God would be the strength of our heart, that he would be our portion. Like the portion is our everything. He would be mm-hmm. our everything forever. And, and now lastly here, before we get to some application, we talk about some some church things. I know Austin's got some stuff on that. Um, I, I want to answer that briefly to kind of go through this reasoning or logic of the will of God. Because at the end of this, John says, but in contrast to what he has said up to this point, Whoever does the will of God abides forever, okay? Abides forever in contrast to the temporality of this earth. So the first question you should ask yourself is, what is the will of God? Okay, this is, God, God's will has multiple different facets. Uh, this particular is the perceptive will of God. I'm not going to define that, but just so you know. Uh, and the, the will of God here is, are the commands and the precepts of God the commands and precepts of God. Who does the will of God? The people of God. Mm-hmm. How can we know the will of God? The will of God is revealed perfectly to us in the word of God. And last question is, how can we abide or remain in the will of God? We live in obedience to the word of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, we. the will of God is perfectly revealed to us in the word of God. If we're going to remain in the will of God, we need to live in obedience to the word of God. Yep. Okay, uh, you know, a couple weeks back, I was listening to Dr. Steve Lawson. He was preaching at our church here in Dallas, and he was preaching on uh, John 14, verse 15, and, and he said this, and I was like, man, this is perfect for our podcast today. He said, quote, every step of obedience leads us to the epicenter of, of God's will end quote every step of obedience leads us to the epicenter of God's will it's beautiful well that's any thing you got Austin on verse 17 ending out this passage on um,
1: um, well I mean there's two big con- contrasts whenever you look at um, verse 17 you see the you know the world passing away and God abiding forever um, so there only are a couple of things that are eternal right so you have the Holy Spirit of God you know you have potentially the people around you and you have the eternal like words written in the Bible so if you had time, attention, expenses to those things, you're going to get these spiritual rewards. But if you were to add time, attention, expenses, like our world tells us to, then we're not going to have those anymore. So it's just important to understand like our time and what we put our time into and the attention and what we focus on and uh, what we, I guess, consume Those things might not seem super important uh, when it comes to a day-to-day life because consumerism has become such a just constant thing that it's only of this world. But when you compare it to what the Bible says about it being cast onto the heavenly things, guys, there's some... I mean, we'll have spiritual gifts. No one really knows what those spiritual gifts are. I mean, you can guess a few, but there's real it's it's a it's a positive thing to think about here so that's all i really have
0: it's good good wrap up there to verse 17 and that that concludes our uh kind of exegesis of uh the verses of this and we're going to wrap up our time today uh in some application yeah about uh the world and the church what's going on in 2020 with the world and the church uh, I'm going to start us off here with a quote from R.C. Sproul. Uh, he said this in his, uh, his expo- expositional commentary on Romans. Uh, this is on um, Romans 12, verse 2, which I quoted earlier. Uh, R.C. Sproul said this, quote, I find myself scared by polls about the behavior of so-called Christians. Today, it seems there is no discernible difference between the professing born again Christian and the secularist when it comes to divorce, abortion, or sexual immorality. We're still adolescents. We watch what the world is doing and we want to win its approval. We do not want to be social pariahs or outcasts, so we allow the standards and customs of our culture to dictate our behavior instead of the word of God. Mm. That last phrase there is sobering. Yeah. I mean, man. RC coming in with some truth there. Uh but but this is a reality in our country and I mean in our world, but specifically highlighting, you know, the church in the United States. <laughs> How much is the church being influenced by the what the culture says? Yeah. Like, we we do not look at the world and say, hey, world, what should we do? What should we believe? And the world tells us, and then we do that. Yeah. A.K.A. the social justice movement. Yeah. That's not how it works. The Christian always looks to the word of God and then abides by it. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. This next quote I have here, uh, it's kind of lengthy, but man there's some meat packed in this this uh quote right here and it kind of ties in some pragmatism that i, I referenced earlier today or, or today earlier in this podcast episode um but this this is by uh daryl harrison uh he, this is an article a quote from an article he wrote called uh, six reasons the church in america is becoming increasingly impotent and Darrell says this quote, In Ashamed of the Gospel, John MacArthur writes, Today more than ever, evangelical church leaders are held captive to the notion that their main duty toward the world is to study the trends of popular culture and try desperately to get on every passing bandwagon as quickly as possible. MacArthur's words provide a very accurate description of what evangelical pragmatism looks like. Evangelical pragmatism is rooted in the misguided notion that the gospel somehow needs help in order to achieve its desired end, the salvation of those who are enemies of God. It is an approach to evangelism that emphasizes employing worldly strategies and tactics toward the goal of making the gospel more attractive and palatable to unbelievers. But as Pastor Josh Boyce rightly explains, pragmatism will always lead the people of God away from the will of God at some point. If the gospel is working, pragmatism says, do it. When the gospel seems to not be working, pragmatism says, do something else that gets better results. (laughs) In The Soul Winner, Charles H. Spurgeon said, I believe that one reason why the Church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is that the world has so much influence over the Church. It's good. What Spurgeon is describing is what pragmatism invariably begets the Church becoming indistinguishable from the world. End quote. Oof. Man, he's hitting it all. You got some thoughts on that, Austin?
1: I mean, I really. I mean. Not really because <laughs> it's, I mean, it's so true. Um, I think the church is trying so hard to be, I mean, we live in a post-Christian nation now and they're just trying every, they're chomping at the bit at every single thing that they can to try and make a, hopefully a stand in a good sense, but majority of the time it's not. Yeah. They're just trying to get. Churchgoers, rather than actually save lives mm. um, and, or s- save souls, um, same thing. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it's not biblically sound. Um, and I say this again: we have to return with urgency to the biblical gospel. gospel. Um, this gospel demands and enables us to turn away from the sin that we have in our lives. And it allows us to take up our crosses daily um, and to die to ourselves. That's what we really need to hear right now is we need to die to ourselves. People are like, what does that even mean? We live in such a a self-advanced, like a a world of self-advancement that we don't even know what the meaning of dying to ourselves is. And that's the, the central message of our gospel. Um, Our salvation has to, we have to have this deep wrestling in our souls with the sinfulness of our hearts. If we don't even see the sinfulness of our hearts, Mm. then, I mean, what are we even doing? Yeah. Um, So uh, we have, we needed more, a a stronger desperation for the need of his grace too. I mean, that's, 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 and it's not, it's not being preached in majority of, not majority, I won't say majority. A, a strong number of churches pulpits, yeah yeah that's for sure i have one thing and this might be my last thing and i want to kind of want to end on this not me luke can continue or not the podcast but me and it's a quote from was it david platt is that his name yeah yeah from his uh his book radical Jesus is no longer one to be accepted or invited in, but one who is infinitely worthy of immediate and total surrender. We have to surrender, people. Um, the problem with our society is that we believe that we can do everything as long as we you know, get hit in the face and pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and continue to work hard and that it's on our power alone, and that's not true. I'm not saying working hard and, you know, having high aspirations is anything negative or even the fact that we're able to pursue goals like we should celebrate that. But if you're only to believe in the American way of life, then it's it's not biblical and you're making a dangerous assumption in your life.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I've got I've just got a couple more comments here before we wrap up this episode. And uh this next one is a is about the what what a large part of evangelical churches in America their their goal is, whether they want to admit it or not, and it's wrong. And this is a quote from John MacArthur from his article Pragmatism, Modernism Recycled. John MacArthur says this. Subtly, the goal is becoming church attendance and acceptance rather than a transformed life. Preaching the word and boldly confronting sin are seen as archaic, ineffectual means of winning the world. After all, those things actually drive most people away. Why not entice people into the fold by offering what they want, creating a friendly, comfortable environment, and catering to the very desires? That constitute their strongest urges, as if we might get them to accept Jesus by somehow making him more likable or making his message less offensive. End quote. Those words from John MacArthur are uh, quite sobering, and boy, do I pray that our our pulpits, our churches in America, would wake up and start preaching the gospel. As it is given to us in the Word of God, and not uh, not a different gospel, not a gospel that sounds better, right. not a gospel that's more likable. <laughs> um, you you will not get anyone to accept Jesus by uh, not preaching the truth of who Jesus is. If, if you try and try and water down the gospel or make his message less offensive, like that, that's not an effective wef, uh, method of preaching the gospel we, we're called to preach the gospel as it's given to us in God's word and we, we have to preach all the gospel we can't just preach the things we like we, we cannot uh, go through the, uh, the, the Bible and toss out the things that make us uncomfortable toss out the verses that we disagree with we have to preach the whole counsel of God Absolutely. as it's given to us absolutely and and the the interview that i referenced earlier with Alibeth beth stuckey and, and uh john l cooper the skillet uh lead vocalist uh, another thing that was said in that podcast um Allie beth asked uh john cooper the question you know what, what do you think is the reason behind all the the woke theology and the the social justice movement happening in our country, kind of this this worldliness that's running rampant in the church right now. And this is what John L. Cooper said. He said, quote, it's a product of weak pastors who wanted to be so relevant for the world that they forgot to be relevant for the gospel.
1: Boom roasted.
0: (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Cooper... That wasn't
1: his intention, but well maybe
0: it was it, uh, Cooper coming in he's preaching on that one that's, like, that's, that's some fire right there from, from John L. Cooper <laughs> but how true is that I mean please Like, I wish that some some weak pastors would be taken out of the pulpit Yeah. the pulpits in this country need uh, men who are going to step up and lead boldly from the word of God who are going to take the word seriously who are going to exposit the word, who are going to preach the word verse by verse, not taking out the verses that are uncomfortable, or that you don't like, okay? We, we're we not called to be relevant for the world, we're called to be relevant for the gospel. Nope. And in that, we reach the world. <laughs> Lastly here, as I want to wrap up this, uh, this lengthy conversation on worldliness and the church and uh, worldly ideologies and things uh, with um, the, the the problem and the solution. This is not the solution, but it, it's it's a, it's a form or an answer of the solution. You could say the solution in many different words, but uh, I listened to an interview with Dr. W. R. Godfrey, uh, and he was asked the question concerning worldliness in the church. And he said this about it: "Quote, the church has been lured into the thought that they need to become all things to all men." End quote. And then he was asked, "Well, what's the solution to this? You know, if if the church is, as as I read earlier, is being from from Charles Spurgeon, is being influenced by the world, um, you know, or it has no influence over the world." because the world has so much influence over the church what what's the solution and and w.r godfrey said this and this is what i want us to end with today and what uh our encouragement to you listener is he said quote to fall back in love with the word of god end quote got to that like if i could end with anything today that's what i would want to end with like like if you if you're going to combat and kill worldliness you've got to fall back in love with the word of god you got to love it know it preach it breathe it live it memorize it like that like your life needs to be saturated in bible yep. period saturated in it all day every day um and and this this is this is the main way in which we combat worldliness uh, this is the way in which churches, pastors should combat worldliness uh, is to fall back in love with the word of God.
1: Yeah. The uh, The goal of the American way of life is to make much of us. But the goal of the gospel is to make much of God. And, um, yeah. All we need to realize to... that and live that out.
0: Absolutely. Well, that, that concludes... Our conversation today on worldliness and the church. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, thank you. Uh, bless you. Appreciate and, that. And, and thank you. Uh, we honestly, we appreciate your listening. We appreciate your time. Uh, we, we're encouraged if you made it this far uh, that you would spend an hour and a half listening to our voices and, and the content that we have hopefully faithfully prepared and, and and done a due, gil, a due diligence at, at preparing well um, we, we all obviously aim to present quality content here and you know comprehensive as we can content on, on this podcast so uh, thank you so much for listening um, as thank always you. we're praying for you we appreciate you we, we love you um, and we will be back on next week uh, we'll have another episode for you guys probably won't be this long but uh, we'll have another episode but hopefully this was encouraging um, you might need to go back through this episode again listen to it and, and write down some notes and kind of digest because uh, I realized we covered a lot of content during this so well God bless grace and peace